discover your purpose. And you know what? No matter your story, it's on the sign right there as you walk in. We want you to know that no matter your story, you are wanted and you are loved. God loves you. Um, we are in a five-week series. <clears throat> when my wife and I uh, moved here, we started getting a lot of questions over the last year about, you know, why would we start a new church? That was week one, why a new church in Cape Coral? Week two, we answered the question, why Christianity? And if you missed those, as I said, we have a channel on Spotify and Anchor FM. You can listen to those there. Um, next week, we're going to answer a question, and it's kind of gone like this when I've heard it. <clears throat> you know, if I walked into your building, lightning would strike and the building would collapse because there's no way God could love a sinner like me. So next week, we're going to answer the question, could God love a sinner like me? And then uh, the final week is, is the Bible really true? I've heard that one several times too. Do you really believe something that's written like 2,000 years ago? Do you really believe that what the Bible says is true? So we're going to address that on week five. Today's question right here in the middle of, of the series in week three is, where is God in pain? And I've had several people, uh, either through our team or through me directly, they've said, you know, I could never believe in a God like that. I couldn't believe in a God that allows uh, natural disasters. And I couldn't believe in a God that allows mass murder and, and genocide and all those kinds of things. And so we're going to look at that today. You know, it, it is virtually impossible to turn on the news nowadays or turn on your TV or log into Facebook and not see some type of pain going on somewhere in the world. So far this year, in 2019, we have had drought in South Africa, thousands of people affected. We've had hailstorms in Minnesota, Wisconsin, northern Michigan, completely just devastated some towns. There's landslides in Peru, villages completely removed. There's been flooding in Bangladesh, China, India, and Nepal, and thousands of entire villages have been wiped out. Over two million people have been affected. Thousands are dead. The latest one that just doesn't make sense is Dorian. Dorian was supposed to be coming across, it might become a category one, it grew to a category five, and then just unexplainably stopped right on top of the Bahamas and just sat there for hours. 200 plus mile an hour winds, Dorian just sat there and spun. And 51 are dead from the last I saw, 1,300 are still missing, and they may never find some of these people. You know, there's crime all over the news, this isn't really a feel-good sermon, by the way. This, is <laughs> this, this, one, this one's tough to do. You know, we've got, you, you turn the news on and you hear about theft and murder and, and mass shootings and corruption and all of these things, whether they're from nature or whether they're by the hands of other people, cause victims and they cause pain. And the question becomes, where is God in pain? You know, maybe the question that you're asking, where is God in pain? Really, it's not, that's, that's really, maybe God's not the issue. Maybe what we're really saying when we say those things is I can't believe in a God that would allow something like that to happen. Or I can't believe in a God that doesn't fit my desires or a God that doesn't meet my needs. Or I, I can't believe in a God that, that would do whatever it is, cancer, whatever it is. 
But really what you're saying is, I can't believe in a God that's not of my own making. You're saying, I don't believe in a God that doesn't fit my desires. A God that doesn't do what I want him to do. And I believe that the question, where is God in pain, really has a lot more to do with the human heart than it does with God. It says nothing about God and everything about the human heart. And if you don't understand him or you don't agree with him, if he doesn't fit what you want in this world, then you're just not going to believe in him. So what you're saying is you want a God of your own making and not the God of the universe. And what I hope to be able to share with you this morning is that God is still there. And God is still God, even in your pain. I mean, have you ever personally faced tragedy? I think all of us have. But it's one of those life-altering moments where you have life before the event, and then you have a different life after the event. Meredith and I have had a few of these. Some from nature, from from the hands of others. May 4th, 2003, we had a really nice little house, four-bedroom house out in the county in Williamson County, Tennessee, and the little creek in our backyard that our kids used to play in, 100-year flood zone happened, and that little creek came up out of the banks, over the backyard, over our retaining wall, and we had over three feet of water against the back of the house, over a foot of water inside the house. Everything basically from four feet down was destroyed inside of our house. My wife lost family heirlooms and pictures and all kinds of stuff. Over $90,000 worth of damage, $30,000 settlement from the national flood policy. January 20th, 2011, we were working to get kids out of gangs in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. And the gang got kind of mad because we were successful. And they sent somebody in at 11.30 in the morning. Eleven thirty in the morning on January 20th, 2011, they got hold of my wife and they beat the stew out of her and left her laying in the streets of Nashville bleeding. She still has no feeling on the right side of her face when they punched the first time it broke the orbital bone in her face. April of this year, we're down here, we moved here, we're planting this church, we're excited, we're starting to build a team, and God is, God is doing some great things, and our daughter, we find out, in Tennessee is pregnant with their third child, our sixth grandchild, in February, and in April, we get a phone call that her husband, our second son-in-law, has cancer, 36 years old, and we're praying that tomorrow morning we get the all clear. But the question is, where is God when these things happen? And there's two types of events. As I said, there's things that are outside of our control that happen through nature. And there's things that happen because of other people. And I think that all of us have dealt with some type of pain like this in our lives. We all have felt this. We all have been challenged as we've gone through, you know, the loss of a loved one or a parent or or the loss of a job or a divorce or a cancer diagnosis, victim of a crime. The question is, where is God in these events? Where is God in pain? You know, pain is a reality in the world. And John 16, verse 33, tells us that we will have trials in this world. We will have pain. We will have suffering, depending on the translation you look at. But Jesus goes on and he says, but I have overcome the world. Jesus acknowledges that pain is real. But he has overcome it. But the question is why? Why do we have pain in the world? 
Why would God allow that to happen? And it doesn't matter whether it's the pain of natural events or pain of human behavior. Both of those were affected by the fall. When God created everything, it was perfect. In the Bible, after every day of creation, he said, it is good. Which in Hebrew meant perfect. It was exactly what God was trying to create. It was perfect. And then when he said, after he created Adam and Eve, he said, it was very good. It was exponentially good. It was perfectly perfect. And God had existed in all eternity in perfect love in the triune God. And he wanted Adam and Eve to experience that. So when Adam and Eve got in the garden, life was perfect for them. They had a perfect relationship with God. They walked with God in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with each other. Imagine marital bliss. No issues. Creation worked exactly the way it should. The tectonic plates underneath the world moved just enough to shift the ground so that it was perfect soil and dew watered the gardens at night. But God gave Adam and Eve a choice. You see, as I said, God had existed in perfect love. He wanted them to experience that. But love always involves a choice. And God gave Adam and Eve a choice. Love is never forced. And when you choose to obey God, or when you choose to disobey God, three things happened. Adam and Eve disobeyed in the garden. Their relationship with God changed. Instead of walking with him in the garden, they hid from them. They no longer could choose not to sin. They were drawn to sin. It was their natural desire. And they no longer had a perfect relationship. And then their relationship with each other changed. They went from meritable bliss to suddenly they noticed that they were naked and they were ashamed and they began to blame each other. And then the way nature operated changed. And instead of everything working perfectly, Adam would have to work harder and increase pain to get work done. Eve would have a, a harder pain when she delivered babies. And those tectonic plates that kept everything together, they now caused earthquakes. And the rain that would water to, to water the ground would cause hurricanes and storms. See, everything was affected when Adam and Eve sinned. And Adam and Eve were given a choice, and we're given a choice. You see, God calls us to love him, but he doesn't force us to love him. If you force somebody to love you, that's not love, just for the record. And if you force somebody to obey you, and they obey you, that's not really obedience. That's, that's fear. That's, that's not love. Real love always involves a choice. So today's question, where is God in pain? You know, it's hard for me to think through this question, where is God in pain? And not think of a guy that I read about in the Old Testament by the name of Job. He is in the Old Testament. There's an entire book written about the pain and suffering that this guy named Job went through. In the first 12 verses of chapter 1 of Job, we get to kind of hear who he is and we learn a little bit about him. So let's see who he is. First of all, we are told that he is blameless and upright, that he feared God, and that he turned away from evil. He had a family. He had seven sons and three daughters. He had position in life. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. And it's important that they were female donkeys because they were the prized donkeys. Because when you rode your donkey and you went and did stuff, you could get milk while you were riding. And he had a lot of servants. 
He was the greatest of all the people of the East. And not only did he have these kids, but he had a great family. His kids got along. Imagine that. Wouldn't that be great? My three daughters need to learn that. Hey, girls, if you're listening. Uh, but his kids loved each other. You know, they enjoyed being together. On, the, on their birthdays with the seven boys, the birthday boy would throw a big party at their house, a huge celebration, and he would invite all of his family to come in, all of his brothers and all of his sisters, and they would have this huge feast to celebrate the birthday. And then Job was committed to God. After their birthday party, <laughs> Job would call the kids back to the house, and he would purify them, and he would offer sacrifices to them, for them, just in case they had sinned and despised God in their hearts. So he's got it going on. Job has everything going on. By the way, side note, parents, do you pray continuously for your kids? It says that Job continuously prayed for his kids. I would encourage you to set aside a time and fast and pray for your kids. I guarantee the world wants them. So Job had it all. He had wealth, he had position, he had power, he had family, and he had a great relationship with God. And in those first 12 chapters, we learned that Satan came before God and basically said, God, hey, you know the only reason that Job loves you and the only reason Job obeys you is because you're protecting him. And God said, tell you what, I trust Job. You can do anything you want to Job. The only thing you can't do to Job is you can't take his life. But you can do what you want. He had free reign, do as he wished. And that's where we pick up in verse 13. And we're going to see Satan's attack on Job, his first of a series of attacks. And Job's life, Job's life is about to fall apart. Job 1.13 says, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. So they're drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. They're having a party. It's the oldest brother's birthday. This is a day of celebration. The family has come together. They're going to have a blast. They were all together in one place. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now the Sabians were a tribe that were from Arabia. And they, were, they came from the south. They came north. And they were known for doing this kind of thing. They would come into an area and they would just cause devastation. They would kidnap people and they would murder people and they would steal all of your stuff. They invaded and, and uh, did that on a regular basis. And in an instant, Job finds out that he lost 500 yoke of oxen. He lost 500 of his female donkeys and a lot of his servants. And while the first guy was still speaking, there came another that said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, the fire from God here, just a side note, this was not actually fire from God. That is a poetic term that's used a lot in the Old Testament. If there is a huge mountain, they call it the mountain of God. If there's loud thunder, they call it the voice of God. And we've already seen that God gave authority for Satan to do these things. So the, the lightning didn't come from God. That's the poetic language they used. And you know, it's interesting. I think sometimes we think of Satan as this little red pitchfork, you know, red outfit with a pitchfork, and, and we kind of make fun of him. 
But you know, Ephesians 2 says that he is the prince and the power of the air. And John 12 refers to Satan as the ruler of the world. Ephesians 6 says that the demons are rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces in this evil and present age. So this is a real battle we're fighting here. But this was not God's doing with the lightning. And right then, Job lost 7,000 sheep and a lot more servants. Verse 17, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them down, took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. Now the Chaldeans came from the north, kind of the northeast. And the Chaldeans, at one point in time anyway, were allies with Hebrew and they were the Hebrews and they were distant relatives of the Hebrews. So Job has now lost 3,000 camels, a lot more servants. And in an instant, think about this. As one's speaking, the other one shows up three in a row. He has lost all of his livestock. He's lost a lot of his servants. And I'm sure that he had to have some feeling of insecurity here. You know, you got enemies from the south. You got potential allies coming from the north. You got fire coming down from heaven. He couldn't trust anybody. Nature was against him. As the greatest man in the east, he lost his wealth, he lost his position, he lost his power. No matter what you've seen on TV, no matter what you have read in books, uh, no matter uh, what the popular teachers tell you about you having your best life now, <laughs> please hear this. Faith in Jesus Christ does not guarantee a good life. Let me repeat that. <laughs> Faith in Jesus Christ does not guarantee a good life, but a perfect eternity. And sadly, there are many teachers that will not share the truth, and they tell us what we want to hear. They give us a God of our own making. But Job's trial is not over. Job is about to have even worse, even more pain what some would call the ultimate pain. In verse 18, while he was yet speaking, the third servant that came to report, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck down the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. I mean, can you even imagine this? We have friends that lost their son when he was 14, and they say that is absolutely the worst pain you can ever imagine. Parents are not supposed to outlive their children. And Job didn't just lose one of his children. Job lost all 10 of his children at once. And I, I would think that the other tragedy that was going on in his life suddenly paled in comparison. He didn't care about the sheep. He didn't care about the camels. He didn't care about the donkeys. He didn't care about the oxen. And even the servants paled in comparison to the loss of all 10 of your children at one time. And I wonder what was running through Job's mind. I know, uh, you know, we're not told in the Bible what happens. But I know what went through my mind in the three different times that we faced these things. God, why didn't you protect our house? We're praying. We've just started doing full-time ministry and you flooded the house. God, why didn't you protect my wife? Where were you? 
What are you thinking? Same with Aaron and Katie. She's pregnant. Life is going well. And he has cancer. Come on, God, are you kidding me? What are you thinking? What did we do to deserve this? That's a question we ask. First thing I want you to know about this. It is not wrong to ask God why. When you're going through a hard time, when you're alone and you feel like you're at the end of your rope, it is not wrong to ask God why. It is okay to ask him where he is when you can't feel him and when you don't understand, it's okay. Think about this. Jesus was on the cross. He's about to die and he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was in pain. Jesus felt alone. And Jesus asked, why God? And if Jesus, who was flawless, who was God himself, Jesus, who never sinned and had a perfect relationship with the Father, if Jesus can ask God why, I think we're okay to ask the Father, where are you? Why have you forsaken us? It is not wrong. And that's one of the key things I learned in all three of those times. You know, we went from wealth in Williamson County, Tennessee, to bankruptcy in a matter of months when the flood happened. And we went from feelings of security and comfort to absolute fear and chaos in seconds when marriage was attacked. And we went from this great feeling of, of confidently following God down here to questioning and even having my coach call me and say, dude, do we need to put this on hold and you need to go back home and take care of your family? And what I learned through each of these times that true intimacy with God is not found while living on the mountaintop, but getting to know his faithfulness while you're in the valley. That's where we learn God's faithfulness is when we are in the valley. We learn the intimacy with God that we never would have known before if we hadn't gone through those hard times. And God can use our suffering to pull us in and bring us closer to him. And we pressed into God and our daughter and our son-in-law have pressed into God. It's been so cool to watch them do that and begin to own their own faith. So how do you think Job responded when he lost everything? Verse 20 says, Then, Jesus, then Job arose, arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. The first thing Job did was mourn. In the Old Testament, when you tear your robes, you're just distraught. You're, just, you're tearing your robes. And then they shaved their head. This was the sign of deep loss in the Old Testament. And it's okay when you find these things just to sit for a little bit and process. It is okay to go through that. Acknowledge the pain and grieve the loss. You know, when Jesus found out that his friend Lazarus was dead, Jesus already knew he was dead. He was God. But when they told him, Jesus wept. Even knowing that he was going to go raise Lazarus back from the dead, he wept. But we don't live in our mourning. Job fell on the ground and he worshipped. Pressed into God in his time of need when he was hurting. Verse 21 says that he acknowledged that everything he had came from God. And the, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And in verse 22, he blessed the name of the Lord. And then it goes on in verse 22 to say, say that in everything that Job did, he did not sin and he did not charge God with wrong. Job acknowledged his pain 
he worshiped God and he did not sin. Henry Blackaby is an author who wrote a book called Experiencing God. And he says, you know, when you go through this time of pain and you may have a crisis of belief, there are three responses that people can have. Number one, you act like everything's fine. We're not going through this struggle. It's just, you just deny it all. That's psychotic behavior. That's not healthy. The second one that people do is they say, well, God must not be real. God didn't do what I want him to do. He must not be real. And so they walk away from their faith. Screw it. I'm done. God can't be the God I want him to be. I quit. And the third one is, is that you wrestle with God. You say, God, I'm confused. God, I'm alone. I'm tired. I'm at the end of my rope. I don't understand, but then you embrace God and you wrestle with God through this hard time. And you know what? Sometimes things don't get better. Sometimes they get worse. I had a really, really, really hard Friday. Um, we have some friends in Tennessee that we've known for years. We've worked with their family for years. A great couple at our church where my daughter still goes to that church, our oldest daughter. And in March, she was declared that her breast cancer was in remission and everything was fine. On April 12th, they put up a post, or April 17th, they put up a post that there was a cancer that had returned on her lungs. And all of July, she went through treatments. And all of August, she went through treatments. And about 10 days ago, her husband, Bart, put up on the internet. He said, it's continuing to grow. There's nothing they can do. The extreme treatment that they would offer could actually be worse for her than just letting her go home and making her comfortable. And we've been getting updates for the last 10 days in Friday morning. Sherry passed. Sometimes it doesn't get better from our standpoint, but Sherry's free today. So where is God in this pain? God is still God, even in pain. He is still there. He is there in your pain. He's not there to explain why you're going through pain. Nowhere in the story do you see that, that Job got this, uh, hey, Job, the moral of the story is Job didn't get that. And Job still worshiped and held on to God. Job didn't get a moral of the story, but he did get God. And God was all he needed. God was enough. And you can experience this too. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't have any idea. But if you're going through pain, if you're lonely, if you're struggling, if you're hurting, know that God is still there. Press into him. And you can learn that God is enough. That he is all you need. And if you're struggling today asking where is God, I want you to know it is okay to ask God where are you. And you don't have to be afraid to be raw with God. God knows what's going on in your heart. Just tell him. Don't lie to God. And in pressing into him, you can know that God, you can know his faithfulness even in the valleys. You can know what he's going on, what's going on. And above all, know that God is still God, even in your pain. He is there. He loves you. 
I have been in that moment where I have literally felt like I crawled up into my father's lap and just wept as he held me. Can't imagine going through something like that without him. God is still God, even in pain. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for all that you have done. Lord, we thank you for what you did for us on the cross. Father, we know the pain that you had to go through when you saw your son lied about, beaten, brutally murdered. God, I love the fact that you can understand what we go through because you have felt pain and suffering yourself. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would comfort those who mourn today. Lord, that they would feel your presence and actually feel physically feel your arms around them like a weighted blanket that would, that would give them peace in the time. They could smell your aroma and know that you are there. Lord, give us faith to just to press into you when we're struggling and we don't understand and we're questioning. Lord, give us that faith to trust in you and know that you are still there and you are still God.